Welcome back, everybody, to Educating for Eternity. We talk about all things Christian education and the partnership between parents and the Christian school. My name is Scott Luttrell, and I am the host of this podcast. I'm the principal at Christian Academy of Indiana in New Albany, right outside of Louisville. I am joined today by Mr. Kevin Wilson. Hello there. Kevin is our longtime guidance counselor here. We have a new co-host today. Miss Alicia Schaus had her baby a couple weeks ago, and so we are excited to have Dr. Becky Wiley here with us. We'll let her introduce herself and let tell us what she does. All right. I'm glad to be here. I'm Becky Wiley. I am um, the director of spiritual formation for Christian Academy School System, which means I get to help um, keep the ship straight spiritually and also... Um, help uh, teachers spiritually form their students while actually educating at the same time. How long have you been at Christian Academy? I have been working full-time for 16 years. What would you say is the hardest part of being the spiritual director for a Christian school? I think the hardest part is that our culture is really coming becoming more difficult and coming into the school even more. And spiritual is not always at the top of everyone's um, priority list. So it's it's difficult to keep that, that the main thing. And I think that every generation probably says that, that the students are changing and how do you keep that spiritual focus. And that's the topic of today's podcast. That's the reason we brought... Uh, Dr. Wiley onto the uh, podcast with us is because we're going to focus today on the spiritual development of our students. So when we look at a Christian school, we should hope that every single one of our families has as a goal of Christian education the spiritual development of their student. If that is not the goal, then the partnership will break down very, very quickly because we should all be on the same page that the goal of Christian education is to help students to grow in their spiritual development. So so we're going to really focus today on how we as parents and this Christian school can influence our students. All right, so I guess the first question today is, how do you know, no matter what stage your children might be in, how do you know what you can do to help your student grow? Do either of you have some examples of different things that you can do intentionally as the parent when it's your role in influencing our students? What can you do as a parent to help your student at any level grow spiritually? You know, I love just the idea of uh, interpreting life as you walk along the way. Um, my, my children, uh, my four children are now all grown. My youngest is 19, my oldest is 33. And so as we've walked through the different stages of life, so much of it has just been... Uh, talking, answering questions, interpreting life as situations come up. We certainly had the, uh, the structured um, devotion times and things of like that, you know, as a family throughout the years, but I think so much of it has been just the dailiness, uh, when you're riding in the car, just going along the way, when you're uh, encountering events in life, just interpreting life, having those conversations with them as questions come up and as situations arise. I would agree with with Kevin on that. I think question asking is the number one thing we can do. Um, Just asking our kids questions. What do you think about this? Um, What do you see in this situation? And on a daily basis, um, it's it sounds easy and it's not because you cannot. It's not a part time job. It's a full time job. And we don't have to be theologians. That's the other um, thing that I think people sometimes worry about. You don't have to be a theologian. You just have to know how to ask questions. And I think that we often have in our minds that we must be doing these big, grand things in order to help our students grow spiritually. 
But I think that point that you're talking about is talk to your kids. They, they're always learning something. Every kid at every age, whether it's a kindergartner or a preschooler, a middle schooler or high schooler, all students are always learning. And they're always being ex- bombarded with the world. And in today's world, man, this culture, it's getting more sinful by the day. And I'm sure that Paul said the same thing back in his day. So when you ask those questions, it makes your kid, your student, verbally uh, communicate what's in their mind. I think that's a big thing because we often want them to have our, our worldview. But they don't have our worldview, and we're not going to know that if they don't communicate that on their own. I think um, just being in a high school Bible teacher for over a decade, one of the things that I have seen help kids grow spiritually is that there is some kind of spiritual conversation happening at home. And it doesn't even have to be um, that serious. It doesn't have to be you know, like we said, you don't have to be a theologian, but a student has to know, a child has to know what my parents profess is what they live. When we have problems and when kids get really um, messed up, honestly, is when they see a Sunday persona and a Monday through Saturday different person. And that that is a testimony that will that will injure and spiritually harm a child instead of helping them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important that you know, as we're interpreting life, as our kids are asking questions, as we're asking them questions, that um, that they understand, okay, what am I really basing my statements on, my opinions on? Because, you know, as, as we've already said, the world is so encroaching uh, on our lives, on our families, in our schools. And a lot of times our, our students will just take what they're hearing from the world around us, and they will take that as gospel. They will think, okay, so-and-so said this, so this is true. And so they'll begin to base their opinions on that. So I think it's that, that need for us to always be directing them back to, to what is true and reminding them of that and challenging them to think about it from that perspective. And on that too, I think no matter what, all day long, if it's a first grader to a senior, they're always building their worldview. Every single day, something is influencing the student's worldview, whether it's TikTok or whether it's ESPN or whether it's a book they're reading or their friends in the hallway or their teachers. So I think one of the most important things is to make sure that you are surrounding your life, as we talked about in our previous episode, with Christian people and Christian mentors who you know what their worldview is. And that's one of the biggest things we talk about in Christian education. The why is because we, I, as a father, want my child to be around Christians all day long because I want that worldview being pushed that is biblical. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, I think that worldview is important. I don't think most parents probably realize the um, just how much worldview is being formed from areas that they wish it weren't. Um, sometimes we give up our authority and we allow other other avenues um, and we think, oh, that's not a big deal or, oh, that won't really hurt. And we have to be careful also to not fall into legalism. We don't want to teach our students, this is what you say. Here's the correct answer to that question. We want to teach them how to think biblically. And to, th- to think biblically, you have to have opportunities to think and opportunities to mess up and opportunities to ask questions and that's an ongoing thing. That's not a one one and done. I think that's something that, you know, we can say that the Christian school and church maybe hasn't done well 
in the past on the making sure your students understand the why. Yes, there is an aspect that I expect my children to obey because I said so. But when you are talking about something that you need to linger with them for the rest of their life, it is important that they understand the why. Let your kid ask the questions. I loved how you said, Becky, that you are teaching your kids something every day. You are the main example. Do your kids want what you have? I heard a great um, challenge several years ago, and it was to teachers, and they said, if, you're, if we were to ask your students, do you think your teacher is a successful human being, what would they say? Well, that's, that, that was really a challenge because I want my students to think if they ended up like me, they would have been successful for some reason or other, whether that is how I interact with my family, my kids, my wife, how I am involved at church, how I am in my ministry, how I am at my job. So as a parent, I think you need to take a step back and say, what would my kids say about my spiritual life? That's a big challenge because we, we often want them to say one thing, but if you really look at it, what would they say about it? And that really connects to the idea that, that uh, in, in training children, you know, more is caught than taught. Uh, in my opinion, you know, the, the, we will have those formal times of teaching, maybe Sunday morning, Sunday school, or our devotion times as a family, or so forth. But just the dailiness of life, what the kids catch from our lives as they watch us, as they see us handle situations, as they see us interact with others, that's what will so often really stick with them in, in such a powerful and great way. So if we go now to a conversation about what we should be doing at each stage, Kids grow and development changes, but if we're talking about the pre-kindergarten, first grade stage, what are some things, that, in your guys' professional opinion, what should parents be doing if we're looking at the spiritual development of our children before they enter elementary school? Um, I think there's a lot of modeling that goes on at that age. Um, we, As a parent, I'm thinking, am I teaching the fruit of the Spirit? We don't necessarily have to call it the fruit of the Spirit, but how am I treating other people? Identity is something that I think all of our kids are struggling with today. It's one of the big things that they're struggling with. So if I can teach my pre-K that they are made in the image of God and God designed them for a specific purpose and that other people are made in the image of God, therefore I treat them re with respect, then I would, I would be happy with that. I think at that age, you know, kids are like a, a sponge. They just soak everything up. Uh, uh, my little three-year-old grandson was walking around the house this week uh, singing a song, something like, uh, I, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Okay, that was in his, maybe his, uh, his preschool classroom, wherever, and that's in his heart now, and that's just what's coming out. They just so soak up those lessons. And so I think take every opportunity that we have to share the Word, to read the devotions, to share the Bible verses and the Bible stories with them, uh, Christian programming, because they will really soak it up into their hearts. The only thing I would add to what you both have said is helping your kids develop good habits. And I think a lot of that is the modeling. This is Sunday. This is what we do. Whether that is an evening, weekly devotional time, something my wife and I have been really trying to work on is how do we let our kids get involved in service? So we have a small group, and we are really trying to figure out, because we all have kids about the same age, how can we find projects that our kids can be a part of? How can you get your pre-K kid involved in Operation Christmas Child, for example? Don't just do it without them. Take them with you. Help them understand it's okay. We're buying stuff for other people. So I would, one thing I would add is make sure you are developing habits that they can see as this is what we do. So if we switch ahead now to first grade, kindergarten, first grade, up into fourth, fifth grade, what do you think are the main goals and objectives from a spiritual standpoint with those age kids? I think we miss a lot of opportunities at this age. 
I think sometimes as adults or as parents, we think, oh, they don't know anything academically. They're just now learning to read. They're just now learning. But they, that is a time where they can have true experiences with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we downplay those because they don't feel, um, they don't feel as uh, legitimate maybe as what an adult might experience. And we might gloss over that and we are missing opportunities. That is the time we teach spiritual disciplines. Um, that just like what you said with habits, that is when habits are made. When you say spiritual disciplines, what do you mean? I mean, prayer time, um, reading their Bible, uh, maybe things even like fasting or staying away from something for a certain amount of time, um, learning to memorize what the books of the Bible are. So, you know, understanding that the Bible is written in different languages than ours. And so there's always going to be some translation things, just kind of filling them with information, but in a way that will be helpful, not just for knowledge sake. I think at that age too, um, children are uh, exposed to things outside of the home more. Uh, you know, they, whether they're starting formal education, activities, uh, sports, and so forth. And so they will be exposed to other kids, other families who have different worldviews that will raise questions and bring things home that we need to have those conversations and kind of digest life together. That's a really good point, too, because they are playing sports now. They're leaving your presence to go to school. And there are many times we have to have those conversations with our kids. You saw somebody do this. This is why we don't do that. But, uh, another thing that I would add to this age is most people would probably be start being pretty concerned about the salvation of their elementary age student. If you talk to people, you know, that 5 to 10, 11-year-old range is when that happens a lot. That's something my wife and I are working through. Um, we will not push our daughter because we have seen so many students make a 5- or 6-year-old profession. Is my daughter a Christian? Uh, that, that's a tough question because there's not been a moment, but I know her life. I know her beliefs. So I think that is something that you can start having that conversation of. What does it mean? Why did somebody get baptized in church today? What does that mean? What did you learn about in school today when it comes to spiritual things? So I think those real intentional salvation talks are also a good thing. As far as questions go, um, at that elementary age, so, you know, I've, I've asked the question in the van on the way home, what happened at school today? Nothing. We have to be a little bit more creative than that. You know, what did you see that you haven't ever seen before at school today? Or what did you find was the most interesting thing that you learned that might help you in your life? Or did you see a situation where you weren't sure what to do about it? Those kind of questions, those will lead to more spiritual conversations. And I was at a conference a few weeks ago, and there's a, a speaker named Ted Knightsky. He has a podcast as well. And he talked about in his family, he had some spe specific virtues they wanted to learn. It was fun. They wanted to have fun. They wanted to learn, and they wanted to help others. So every night for years, he would ask the same three questions to his family. What did you learn today? How did you have fun? And how did you help somebody? So I kind of put that together in my mind with the conversation from our first couple podcasts with Kevin talking about a mission statement for your family. Man, we have started asking those three questions to our kids every night for the last month. And it has completely changed the way that our dinner time works. I get home from work and they want to answer those three questions immediately. Or I open the door and they'll say, we know two of our questions, but not the third one. And so it just creates some great conversation. It's three simple questions. And the idea is, that's what his family valued. No, we're looking about tweaking some of them to make them a little more spiritually based. But did you learn something? 
Did you help somebody? If you didn't help somebody, he said, it's time to do the dishes. We'll get some work done. Did you learn anything? No, I'm a math teacher. Let's get some paper out. We'll learn some math. And then did you have fun? Things that are making sure your kids understand what is important to the Luttrell family. That's definitely a great exercise for you to think about and consider for whatever is important to your family. So now let's hop to the awkward years of the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade years. What is our goal as parents, as educators for this age group spiritually? Gosh, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, My first thing I would tell parents is don't panic. Um, We overreact in these grades because we are so fearful of what is going on in their heads, what they're thinking. Um, One of the things that I've always done with students when they come talk to me privately about issues is I don't ever act surprised. I don't ever want them to think that what you just said has scared me or floored me or whatever. Um, Even when they bring up difficult things about sexuality and, and cultural issues, we have to we have to be willing to go there with them. The other thing that I think is so important, and I understand this because I, I had to go through this as well, we have to let our kids make mistakes. And ma- learning how to fail and learning what to do when we fail, if we get a bad grade on a report card, if we get in trouble at school, if we, we, our students have to know that it's okay to do that. I think it's important on that to make sure you as a parent let your child fail in the right things. Be careful in the wrong things. But once they fail, that's the time to swoop in a parent. Exactly. And sometimes we don't let them. We swoop in and we want to clean it all up and we want to make it tidy and we want to go on their behalf to the school. And the best, some of the best learning that takes place is during those difficult times. And we're, we're robbing our kids of those. Yeah, I think definitely that micromanaging uh, is something I look back in my life with, with my older kids and think, okay, that's probably something I did too much of uh, during, during that stage of life was trying to make sure that they were still on page with me and on script with me and the beliefs and opinions and so forth and probably uh, didn't let them you know, fail maybe as much as I should uh, or let them uh, express maybe their own op- opinions or positions as much as I should have. I think it's important to make sure that you stay in your child's world during these years. A lot of times, this is when the kids start getting a cell phone. They start being dropped off at practices. You're not watching anymore. Maybe you're getting those sleepovers going on. I don't know how many times I've had conversations with parents, and they just have resigned themselves to the back row. And they say something like, well, she's just a 14-year-old girl. What am I going to do? That's the relationship I have right now. Man, you've got to fight to be in that relationship Take advantage of those moments to have those conversations. Take advantage of the spiritual things when they arise. You've got to know what your kid is doing, not just from a worldview standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, to know, my kid just said this, what did that mean? I think a lot of times parents find comfort knowing that other people are going through the same thing there are, and so they just think, well, it's a teenager, they're all doing it now. No. Get in there, have those conversations. They're going to start wanting to not go to church, maybe. Show them the need for that. Keep modeling, because at this stage, man, those kids are going to call you out on things. Those kids are going to call you out, maybe not verbally, that they're going to notice when you do things that do not match up with what you're saying. I think, you know, a lot of times at that age, that that middle school, early high school age, we think, okay— they're becoming more independent, and they really don't want me around, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but really, you know, this is one of the most insecure times in their lives. 
and they really do need us around, and, and really they do want us around. Now, it may, it may not be holding their hand and walking them into school like we did when they were in kindergarten and first grade. Uh, that may not work in seventh and eighth grade, but they still do want us around in the appropriate context, the appropriate settings. So look for those ways to build that relationship, to move in, to have that time of closeness where you can interpret life and share with them during those years. So the next stage is going to be that high school stage. This is the time when your child is wanting to be independent. They're getting that driver's license. They're getting a boyfriend or girlfriend. They're getting a job. They're getting ready for college. What is our goal spiritually, or what should we be doing in those high school ages? This is a tough one. Um, we have we start to see rebellion and things like that. Um, obviously, in this in this age, I think that it's important to keep the lines of communication open with your child. Like you said before, if they are resisting that, that's not optional. You know, I think a parent needs to stay a parent and not a friend. You can be a friendly parent. That's different than being a friend. Um, One of the things that I tried to do for my kids is I always gave, I always let them know I will be the bad guy whenever you need me to be the bad guy. If you are in a situation if you're at a party, if you're anywhere, if your only ride home is with someone that's been drinking, I will be available. No punishment. We're not, you know, I wanted them to feel safe enough. A lot of people have code words. A a kid gets on the phone and they might say a word in a sentence. Maybe it's Coca-Cola or, and then when, when I hear that word as a parent, I know I've got to be the heavy and I've got to say, get home now. They can blame it on me, but they can get out of that situation. It's true that we so want our our kids to make the right decisions, and we have such hopes for their future, and we want the very best for them. And so if we feel that they're getting off course in any way, maybe with their opinions, with their thoughts, with their friend group, with their decisions, we have that, or at least I have that tendency to kind of go overboard. And and that that's a problem. And we need to be very careful that we don't freak out, that we don't go overboard, that we don't get so heavy-handed. We have to stay open to conversation. It can't be that that we just land on them and come down their throat with a heavy lecture, because that's going to shut down any desire on their part to to talk with us, to share anything with us, uh, for them to be open to anything we have to say. So I think it is critical that we stay open to conversation. Uh, We need to be that sounding board, because they are going to be facing increased independence and uh, job opportunities, increased opportunities with dating, sports, etc. So we need to be there to have those conversations with them as they come home and they want to talk about things that we need to listen. And maybe we have to bite our our lip a little bit, but uh, let them talk uh, and then and then share as, as we appropriately can. I think the most common misconception that I hear is that parents have said, whew, glad that parenting stuff is behind me. My kid's now a teenager. Uh, they're independent, and I'm just going to kind of take my hands off. I think that's the exact wrong ap- approach. I think that it's a different hands-on, hands-off mentality. I think that you still must be involved. One of the biggest reasons is because the problems are so much bigger in high school. You know, it's one thing if you're a fourth grader and you cheat on a math test. It's another thing in high school when you start talking about substances and relationships that could do just go different places or big things that have life-altering consequences. It's too late when those things already happen to say, oh, I wish I'd have been more involved. I also think that it's important to make sure that it, that you realize up front it's hard work. So I think there's just so much work that has to be done, but you got to do it in the right way like the both have said before me. If you just go in there and say no without any explanation, it's a problem. 
Also, we have to realize that when we're parenting kids, all of our children are different. doesn't matter how many kids you have in a family, they are all different. My two are absolute opposites. So even though I am fair when I parent, I am not always equal in the way that I do that. And raising my voice to one child might be helpful. Raising my voice to the other one might be very hurtful. So I tried to explain that throughout you know, there are years of, I, I do parent you differently because you're two very, very different people. Sometimes, you know, something might work as a punishment for one and not for the other. So that's, I think that's pretty important. We also need to remember that when we're going through the high school years, we are raising people to become independent from us, not dependent on us. How are they going to act when they are dropped off at a campus? And I am, so I'm trying to pull away from some of that decision-making that they need to be making, but then still evaluating it, like Kevin mentioned. Uh, we're still evaluating. We're still talking. I still know what's going on. But did you make the right decision? Again, let them, let them mess up. Um, I'd much rather them mess up and live with me than to mess up and go back to a roommate in college. That's a good point. So I got two questions that we'll end this podcast with. The first one is, how do you know if you have been successful? What are some things that you should be able to see along the way to know that what you did has worked? What's the end game? What's the end result? What I love sometimes is when I hear one of my children give advice to someone else or make a statement to someone else, and, and you, I think in the back of my mind, hmm, that sounds familiar. <laughs> maybe, maybe they heard that at home <laughs> or something before. Um, so yeah, if you hear coming from them an opinion or a position that you know you had conversations on. I think for me, it's having hearing my kids talk about their walk with Jesus that is totally apart from me. It's not the things I've said. It's, hey, mom, I feel like God's really been working on my heart in this area. It's, it, it, it's their own. They're, they have a relationship with Jesus, and it, I have helped guide that, but now they're, they're on their own with that, and they're, they're starting to verbalize that. I think it also helps to have other people speak to you about your, your child's success. I think of a time where we were on an overnight retreat or a trip with some students, and one of my seniors got up early. I saw him outside at, on the picnic table, and he was reading his Bible at like 6.30 in the morning. Those are the times when I love going to the parents. I love saying, this is what your son did. You might not know this, but when you're not there, this is who he is. So if you see other people and their kids are, are doing something that is honoring to God, tell that parent. They could really use that encouragement. So the second last question right now would be, what happens at any of these stages if maybe you're recognizing that your child is wandering from the faith? What what is our role as a parent when we, even those older grades, it's maybe a little more obvious, when that child is moving the wrong direction? Well, first, it's it's heartbreaking, and we have to understand that that we are going to have a lot of feelings about that. Again, uh, the don't panic phrase comes to mind. Um, I just used this phrase today, and I think of it a lot. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And sometimes by pounding more Jesus into a child, we think if they could just get it this time. And that isn't always the case. Um, I think the most important thing to do is pray. Um, pray for that child um, and know that God is in charge and that we are going to have times and we are going to have kids that make choices that are totally unbiblical. 
And that is a part of life. I myself have lived that that life um, and, and done things that I shouldn't have done. And, and at the same time, those were the times that I learned. Those are the times that I kind of had to get on my knees or God put me on my knees. And it was the, that that's how you grow. Yeah, I think, you know, con- consistently uh, point them back to the unconditional love of, of the Father. Show that love, model that love uh, to them um, so that they will want that relationship with us, that they will want, as they work through the hard times, that they will still want to be relational with us as they move on in life, that they will still want that relationship, not only with us, but then also hopefully with with the Lord. One thing I've done um, all throughout my, my kids growing up is I've always prayed for mentors for them. Um, you know, sometimes the parent is not the one that can get through, and I, pay, I prayed for mentors. I prayed for them when they were in college, that they would have youth ministers, and they would have professors, and they would have people that would take um, an interest in them, that would want to really, you know, just really have an influence in, the, in their life. And, you know, sometimes it the person that might bring your child back is not going to be you. It's going to be somebody else. So earnestly praying for those people. You all said it very well on that. It's been hard for me with young children to realize that I cannot save my children. It is not my decision to make. I can lead. I can model. I can show the gospel. I can have those conversations. I can ask all the right questions. But at the end of the day, that child gets to make their own decision when it comes to the faith. I know my role. And so I know that when I have high school students or even middle school and elementary that are on the wrong path, that prayer and that giving it up to the Holy Spirit and praying that something would happen, not too much, but something would happen to bring them to the faith is a great thing. There is a great book called Out of a Far Country by Christopher Ewan, and it just talks about his life of sin and how his mother never gave up on him. So if you have a, a, a student that is maybe in their older years that's going through some stuff, that's a great book to talk about what uh, a life of sin is and how the mother kept praying and what her role was in that. So as we wrap this up, I think you can summarize a lot of what we said by parents being intentional with their students. That's what it comes to, asking questions, being in the mundane, everyday moments, the car rides, the ball games, the holidays, everything, Saturday night on the couch. Those are the times when you must be deliberate, put in the effort to work hard to know who your student is. Once you know who your student is, and what makes them tick, then you can have so much better conversations. You're not talking to a brick wall. You're talking to your child that you know. So don't forget, it's a frustrating thing. It's, t- it's tempting to get really overwhelmed by it, but it starts with a simple daily conversation. All right, thank you, Dr. Wiley, for being here. Thank you, Kevin, as always. We might have Alicia back next episode, and we look forward to talking to you all again. Have a great day.